0: Portico, hey, look at that! Almost got everybody that time. Great to have you here. If you're visiting today, welcome to Portico. We trust you feel right at home. And uh, specifically, if it's your first time, make sure that you fill out a connect card. Let us know that you're here. We're so delighted you join us. Welcome those of you that have joined us online over in our chapel, our video cafe, our venues. And by whatever means, you're coming in to join us today. We're one church, one message, with many expressions. And we just love getting together. And so we're so delighted that you're here. I want you to take your Bibles out this morning. We're in a series that's called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And we're looking at this whole area of developing a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're taking God from the mysterious and bringing it into the practical part of our world. Now, if you need to borrow a Bible this morning, raise your hand real high. Our ushers are in the room. They're in the other venues. And if you keep your hand up, we'll make sure that you can use this Bible for the duration of the service. Leave it on the chair. We'll pick it up later. And uh, just a reminder for our church community, bring your Bibles with you. Make sure you've got your electronic devices. You can use uh, uversion.com track along and do the message that way as well. And we're just so, so grateful for everybody that brings their Bible. We get deep into God's Word. All right. Well, you can pull your notes out as well in the bulletin, and there's some outlines that you're going to be able to follow along today. And as I mentioned, this is our second week in our series, Close Encounter of the Third Kind. So we're looking at the life of the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to get a little more intimate into the connection and the relationship part of this. And So we're going to look a little bit of the biblical side and then how does that relate into the practical part of our world And as we get going, though, I got a question for you because I know you guys like questions, and you usually like to interact and respond with me. All right, there we go. See, just just testing. Want to make sure? How many of you by show of hands? No, not hard. Show of hands. How many of you are Facebook users? Go ahead. Hold them up high. Be proud. Wave them all over the room. How come you're not my friend? No, that's not the question I was going to ask you. Interesting thing about Facebook, I was curious about Facebook because it seems to be one of our, our in, uh, sort of integral connections into relationships. And so I got thinking about, when did it all start? What's it all about? So I went back and looked at some of the statistics. It was 2004. It's only 11 years ago. seems like we've had it forever. And it's 2004. So I went to the official um, page for Facebook, and here's what their mission statement is. Our mission is to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected so that people can use Facebook to stay connected with friends and family and to be able to discover what's going on around the world and then to share it with each other. Now here's what got really fascinating. I started the deep dive a little bit more because Facebook has become sort of our friend connection. It's the way we make friends now. And by show of hands, how many are using Facebook, you are a part of a global movement of people. Here are statistics in terms of use. As of September the 30th of this year, there are 1 billion daily active users of Facebook. Where do you have the time to do that? Like I'm one of those occasional Facebook users, but 1 billion daily active users. There are 1.55 billion monthly users. So I'm in that little number. I'm one of the ones that goes in occasionally if I see a little alert that I need to go to. And people go, how come you haven't replied on Facebook? And I go, "Ah, I haven't been there for a while. But uh, Facebook is one of those places. And here's what was really interesting to me. 1.4 billion people use their mobile device for Facebook. So not only have we changed the way social media has changed the way that we connect with one another we interact with one another, many of you use, in fact, some of you are on Facebook right now, you need to get off, just kind of stay with me for a little while, we won't be that long in the room, but uh, we use social media, we use Facebook to connect with each other and to develop relationships. I got great news, if you're an introvert, you can make friends and never have to talk to them. That, that probably is one of the best gifts that Facebook ever gave us, right? You can send friend requests, and you never have to talk to these people. Laura was asking me, she goes, how many Facebook friends do you have? And I was giving her the number. She goes, no, you don't. You can't have that many friends. And that's the great thing about Facebook. I can go friend, 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 and never have to talk to any of them. And then you wonder why I don't answer your friend requests. But I'm, I mean, I'm out there with all the rest of you. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could develop a relationship with God in the same way as Facebook? Ever think about that? Is it possible to send God a friend request, one click, and then have God connect back to us? See, a lot of people, when it comes to relationship with God, there's still this sort of the mystery around how God relates to us and how God connects with us. And we look at how quickly we can connect sort of relationally this way, but the mystery of God... Is still there Now last week, if you weren't here last week, we talked about who is the Holy Spirit. Very foundational. I would encourage you to go onto our website, listen to the message, because we, we did talk very openly. We let God explain who He is from His Word, not through our filters and our lenses, that God, the Holy Spirit, is a distinct person and is a divine person, and that He wants to have a relationship with us. But you see that statement right there, that God wants to have a relationship with us, There's a fundamental underlying question that many people ask, or they they just sort of think about, and it's, who really can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Now before you answer, everybody can, the reality is a lot of people don't feel they can have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Even though last week we talked about He is a person, He is divine, in their heart they just don't feel that they can. In fact, many people attend churches. Churches are filled with people this weekend. and People will be going to masses and services and gatherings, and they'll be listening to messages, and they'll be opening up their Bibles, but many of them will be going home going, I I just wish there was something more. I wish God was more of a friend to me. How do I connect to God? And for a lot of people, when you talk about God, God is this ominous, distant, powerful being that says he wants relationship, but we feel like, wow, I I don't know if I'm worthy Of God's attention in his time. And if it was as easy as Facebook where I could send a friend request and click a link to God, we often wonder maybe God would just sort of leave that link open and not respond back. So there is a group of people, and it's a very large group of people that feel that way about God. Then there's another group that I've encountered when it comes to relationship with God, and I talk about who can have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And they look at it through the lens of sort of contemporary society and they go, you know, we see the charismatic people on TV and we see evangelists and we see people who seem to have cornered the market because they always talk like they're walking with God in such an intimate relationship and we don't have that experience. So we go, I think there must be people who have cornered the relationship on the Holy Spirit and I'm not sure I can have that same type of relationship. Now, the wonderful news is, last week I talked about this, that we would set aside our prejudices, our fears, our misconceptions, all the lenses, all the filters that we use, that we wouldn't bring our understanding into this area, but we would stop and we would say, how would God respond to the question? Can people have a relationship, a personal, intimate, dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit? How would God answer that question? And if we look at it through the lens of Scripture and not through what others have taught us, Because I think that's the way we have to come to the Word. We look at it through this lens. What would God have to say? So get your notes out, get your Bibles out, and let's go over to John chapter 20. The text that we're going to read this morning is actually going to be a text where Jesus, post-resurrection, so He has been crucified, resurrected. The disciples didn't know that He was raised from the dead yet. He's going to appear into their presence and startle them a little bit. But in the moment that He appears to them, not only does He give them compelling evidence and truth that he has been raised from the dead and he is in fact alive but he says something that i think many people have overlooked and here it is john 20 verse 16 here's what we read says on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the jewish leaders jesus came and stood among them now you need to just stop about that stop there for a moment because said the doors were locked how did he do that that's kind of cool so we're going to leave that. So he says, came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said these words, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's that last sentence I want you to look at. Look at these words. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What was happening here? Now, follow the story. If you're new to the Bible, you're new to faith, and you're not quite certain of the background here, I'll paint a little bit of a picture. So Jesus had been, of course, betrayed by religious leaders and the following of the people. He'd been handed over, persecuted, crucified. They thought they had destroyed him, got rid of him. But God, by the power of the Spirit, raised him back to life. The disciples are now overjoyed in seeing him because they thought that for sure he was going to be the rescuer, the redeemer, the deliverer, that Israel was once again going to have a mighty king that could lead them and Rome would be overthrown. And Jesus is turning everything upside down and he starts talking about a kingdom and good news and the fact that God's kingdom is coming into this world and that people are going to have a relationship with God. And in the middle of all this, when he shows himself and gives this compelling evidence, and he goes, look, check my hands, check my side. Well, they're overjoyed at seeing Jesus, as we would be. We would absolutely be blown away. I think we'd just kind of be speechless. But he does this where they're gathered in the room, and he he exhales, and he goes, Receive the Holy Spirit. You go, Why did he say that? What was taking place? What was so powerful in that moment? See, everything up until this time has been leading in God's purpose and plan towards a movement where people would be brought into relationship with God, where our lives would be dynamically linked by the power of the Spirit, and Jesus was ushering in a brand new era. Friends, if you don't understand this, this was a game changer for them. This was a moment where everything was about to change. So in order to understand it better, i got to take you back to bring it forward. And if you want to pull your notes out, let's have a look at this. To understand the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to go backwards into what we call the Old Testament. So in your notes, I want you to fill in a couple of blanks this morning, and I'm going to do a little bit of teaching to take us up into where Jesus is. But here's the first thing I want you to write into your notes. In the Old Testament, now that's just a fancy way of saying, before the time that Jesus was born. So that's that period back when you open up in Genesis and you move your way up to Matthew, the book of Matthew. In the Old Testament... Holy Spirit encounters, very crucial words here, were selective and specific. So if you are to open up your Bible and you're reading from Genesis and you start to read through Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and start working your way through the Bible up to the book of Matthew, what you'll notice about the Holy Spirit is when he appears, so we know from last week he's a person, distinct and divine. When he appears... It's very selective and for a very specific reason. I've given you three little blanks in your notes. I'm going to have you fill them in. The first time is with prophets. So the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a very specific purpose and work through them. So it wasn't like everybody had this experience. And that's why when you read, they would talk about these prophets like Elisha and Elijah, and people would be like, whoa, where did they get this power, and how are they able to do this? One of the most preeminent ones would be, and if you want to put it in your notes there, is Moses. It's found in Numbers chapter 11, verse 17. And this is when Moses is leading the Exodus, and the people are just a massive group of people. He can't possibly administer all of them, and he calls together a group of elders. And this is what God says to Moses. God says, Moses, I will come down, and I'm going to speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you, and I will put it, what? On them. So here you have a little bit of a taste. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you'll not have to carry it alone. So God says, Moses, not only did I set you apart as a specific individual for a specific purpose, but I'm going to take some of the Spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on some people over here. What does that tell us? That not everybody... Not everybody had the presence of the Spirit upon them and the power of the Spirit upon them. So God was raising up people always for a purpose. The prophets were always directing the people towards God. We use a little statement in the church here, helping people find their way back to God. While the prophets were helping Israel stay true to the living God, because God had already given them a mandate that you will be my people, I'll be your God, and the world will see the glory of God. In other words, they would be a witness to the world. That was the purpose behind it. So God would raise up prophets, and you have prophets like Ezekiel, where it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon Ezekiel. You have a prophet like Elijah and Elijah. So when you're reading, you'll always read the Spirit was upon them, the Spirit was upon them, the Spirit was upon them. Well, not just on the prophets. There's another blank in there. God also put his spirit during this era upon kings. So not only do you have have this prophetic group of people, you have this civil leadership group where God would put his spirit in the Old Testament before the time of Jesus upon the kings. So you have King Saul, when God first uh, called King Saul and empowered him. It says, I put my spirit upon him, and Saul began to prophesy with the company of prophets, indicating that he had the power and the presence of God with him. The most familiar king is David. And, of course, if you look in your notes, I've got a reference for you. Here's what it reads in 1 Samuel 16. Samuel, prophet of God, took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully, what does it say, Upon David. So always upon, always coming upon and resting. So you have prophets, you have kings. What are we noticing? God is selecting people for his purpose and the presence of the Spirit is always for his purpose. Helping people find their way back to God. There's another blank in your notes. I want you to fill this in. Write these two words in. Selected individuals. Selected individuals. So God's at work. He's got leaders, prophets, kings, and now he starts raising up individuals such as a a man by the name of Bezalel, and it's over in Exodus 31, and you can see the verse there. He says, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and here it is. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of skills. So God says, I take my spirit, And I put it on individuals. So all before the time of Jesus, individuals selectively chosen for a specific purpose. And people would see them, and they would be amazed at what they were able to do. So not everybody had the same experience, but these chosen people. I used to work, many of you know, I tell some of the stories, I used to work in the grocery industry, and one of my, in fact, my first full-time paid job was working at an independent grocery store. And the owner, uh, we lived, we were out in British Columbia, and the owner of the store, he used to believe in personal service. And so we would deliver groceries out into the neighborhood. So if you came to the store, you could buy your groceries, and then we'd take them out to your house. Wonderful way. Kind of novel. We should do that today, maybe by the internet. But anyhow, he had started this whole industry. And uh, what he would do is he would ask some of the guys that work at the store to take his car and deliver the groceries. We wanted that job because he drove a 1969, I'm not going to tell you how old I was, but he drove a 1969 stretched Cadillac black. It was a land yacht. I mean, it was massive, this car. And I remember at the store, we'd all want to get selected. And occasionally he'd call, hey, Doug, here's the keys to my car. Take the car, deliver the groceries. I love doing that. I'd get in behind the car, drive. Who wouldn't? Teenager with a big Cadillac, driving through as if you owned the world, wailing down the road. What everybody saw, everybody knew that for that moment, I'd been selected for that purpose and I'd be driving through. And of course, you'd extend your delivery time just a little bit. Why not? If you get to go cruising, let's go cruising a little bit. That's sort of how the Spirit was working. God, in the Old Testament, was selecting individuals at selective times for His purpose. But that's the work. And God was moving something forward. Well, we're going to move forward a little bit, so I want you to move forward in your notes. Let's get over to the second change, which comes at the time of the Gospels. And here's your note. In the Gospels, the Holy Spirit encounters were demonstrated and experienced through Christ. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are four books in the New Testament at the beginning, they are the record of the life of Jesus. So that's what the Gospels are. But when you read the Gospels, you'll notice, for the most part, the voice of God has been silent for a period of about 400 years. And then God would speak, announcing that Jesus was coming, and when Jesus is born, you start to see a a whole shift, and Jesus becomes the empowered one. He is fully God, fully man, and his life we know that he emptied himself of his divinity. He comes and he walks of his power. He comes and he walks the face of this earth, and he's filled and led with the power of the Spirit. And by the power of the Spirit, he starts to demonstrate that there is a, another way to live. So Jesus not only has the, now the Spirit within, but he has the Spirit upon. And you see a connection here, full of the Spirit in the power of the Spirit. Look at Luke 4.18 in your notes. In Luke 4.18, Jesus would go to the synagogue. He would stand and read before the people these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of everyone were on him. Why? Why? That's been read before. People have been to the synagogue before, but they were riveted on Jesus. There's something about this man, and here's what happens. He said, The eyes of everyone fastened on him, and he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the people were shocked. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is fully upon me. Those who have followed close enough understood something about him. Jesus had gone out to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin John that wasn't an ordinary baptism it was a baptism of repentance believing that something was about to come but when jesus was baptized hundreds and hundreds of others had been baptized but when jesus was baptized the scriptures tell us that suddenly the heavens open up and the spirit comes and settles on jesus in the form of a dove and the father speaks and he goes this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased and immediately jesus is led the bible says is led by the spirit into the wilderness then he is led by the spirit into galilee Fully surrendered, fully obedient, fully committed, passionately following the leading of the Spirit, emptied of His divine power, but surrendered to the power of the Spirit. Jesus is showing us something full of the Spirit, empowered from upon with the Spirit. He's going to live a life that is absolutely remarkable. The kingdom has come. So people would watch Jesus, and they would try to understand. Look at it, it says in Matthew chapter 4.23. It's in your notes. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. They knew he was different. Because for 400 years, there's been nothing happening. And all of a sudden, he breaks on the scene, and no other religious teacher is doing what Jesus is doing. So you get these little sound bites that come out of the teaching isn't this jesus isn't this the son of joseph isn't he merely the son of a carpenter the son of mary where did he get such authority they were amazed at the depth of his wisdom where did this come from so all of this was ushering in a brand new era that the life of jesus as he surrendered himself to the spirit he was showing not only the people but he was starting to show his followers that there is a way to live your life where the presence and the power and a relationship with the Holy Spirit is dynamic and vibrant and alive every day. You can walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, we tend to push our hands out a little bit and go, yeah, but that's Him. That's the Son of God. I don't know if that's for us. And yet Jesus very clearly was portraying that this relationship that He had wasn't merely ushering in an era for His life. It was going to change the world. Not only would it change how it was in the Old Testament, selective and specific, not only would the Spirit come upon the anointed one of the Christ, but Jesus was now hinting at, because of me, because of my life, my death, my resurrection, because of what God is going to do through me, His obedience to the Father, that the power and the penalty of sin would be paid for and broken, and that Jesus would open up the door to relationship with God again. And that helping people find their way back to God, everyone was about to have an opportunity to experience relationship with the Father. So Jesus was teaching a Samaritan woman at the well. And he gets talking about water. And he talks about living water. And water that would never run out. And they have this little bit of a dialogue. And she said, well, you Jews believe that you've got to go worship in Jerusalem at the temple. And we believe that we should worship over here. And Jesus goes, okay, time out. Can I tell you? A day is coming and has now come when we will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He goes, it's not going to be about religious practices anymore. It's not going to be about sacrifices. It's not going to be about the duties that you have to do. That there's a day coming and it is now coming. I am in your presence that Jesus ushered in a brand new era. He demonstrated relationship with the Spirit so that we might understand how to live with the Holy Spirit in our lives as well. And he ushers in the possibility that everybody can have a personal, dynamic relationship, not only with the Father, not only with Jesus the Son, but with the Holy Spirit. And he modeled what it was to listen, to be led by, and to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Go back to your notes, and I want you to write this in. Who can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Third thing. After the resurrection, Holy Spirit encounters... Are inclusive and personal. Because of Jesus, everything changed. This had been the longing in the hearts of the prophets. This had been the declaration of God back in the book of Genesis. This was the fulfillment that the Messiah, the anointed one, Christ would come Not merely to bring us back into relationship, which is enough to experience the grace and the wonder of relationship with the Father. So Jesus came that we might know the forgiveness of our sins, but also that this forgiveness of sins would usher us into a relationship where we'd be the sons and daughters of God, where our relationship would daily, actively be personal and connected to the Holy Spirit. That God isn't this ominous, powerful force that's distantly removed from us, nor is just select individuals that have cornered the market on the Holy Spirit. Jesus brought in a brand new era where everyone who would open up their hearts, everyone could have access to the Holy Spirit. Look, look what it says in John 7 in your notes. John seven thirty-eight and 39. Jesus teaching, he said, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He was teaching and hinting and promising. He goes, listen, you're not going to understand my life, my death, and my resurrection. Not right now, but you will. And when I have been raised to life, not only will you understand the work that I've done, he goes, but God is going to give you his Spirit to be within you, and rivers of water. What does that mean? That means life, experience, that dynamic, vibrant relationship with God is something we can have every day, every day of our lives. John chapter 20, verse 22. Let's go back to the upper room, or go back to the room for a moment where Jesus revealed himself to his followers. This is out of the text that we read, John 20, 22. It says, And with that, Jesus breathed on them, and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So connect two things. You go back to Genesis when God first created the world. And he said, and everything was good. It was perfect. And then he creates man and he fashions out of the dust of the ground. And he forms man. And the Bible says that he breathes into man. I love the imagery. He breathed into man his spirit and man became a living being. Because of sin, we fell out of relationship with God. Disobedience separated us from the living God. Jesus comes, he pays the price for our disobedience and our sin. And by trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're brought back into relationship with God. Real clear, real simple. But look what Jesus does. Then he walks in before his followers, and he goes, and God breathed. They would have connected it all the way back to Genesis again. Ruach, the breath of God. And he goes, not only are you a living being, not only are you restored in a relationship with God, he goes, receive the Spirit. You don't have to rely on the sacrifice of goats and lambs and scapegoats and religious duties. The Spirit will be within you. He will bring guidance, He will bring direction, He will bring wisdom if you need it. You now have the Spirit of God. This is the moment where these who had been followers of Jesus and trusted in Him their lives are now fully handed over, and they're what we would call born again. That's what Nicodemus wanted to know. How can a man be born again? Spirit gives birth to spirit, and Jesus goes, this is available for every one of us. Ezekiel 36, thirty-six, twenty-six in your notes, this was the prophetic longing that was always talked about. He said, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. So these first believers were welcomed into relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit and Jesus were bringing him into relationship with the Father. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Sometimes the simplicity of what we talk about escapes us. But Jesus made it so apparent for every one of them that in this moment when you trust in me, my Spirit is now within you. See, I started with the service this morning with a question, who can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't it be great if we could do like Facebook and we just go click and send a friend request to God? Here's what I know. Even leading in a church, often the information that builds our pathway and our journey of faith has been directed or filtered or handed off through other individuals. Not always necessarily wrong, but maybe not always necessarily true to where God teaches us from his word. So we absorb, we adopt, we adopt a lot of religious practice and routine and overtones. And how many of you know that sometimes religion can actually keep us away from a relationship with God? It can. That's why over and over and over, the Bible warns us against, don't get caught up in religious practices. Now, is there anything wrong with the expression? No, 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 no. But if it takes you away from God, that's where the danger comes in. So the New Testament, you start reading a lot of things about, hey, don't rely on the law. You start relying on the law. You're going right back underneath religious practices. Jesus has come. Grace is available for us. So in this moment right here, I know a lot of people that they'll listen and they'll go, well, I I know about Jesus. Yeah, I know about Jesus. I've heard a lot of teaching. I've heard people talk about that he's the son of God and that He paid the penalty for my sins. And they'll make mental assent that they need to trust in Jesus, but they still rely on a lot of practices and customs to ensure that everything's okay. But when you come to the Bible, how do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Through Jesus and Jesus alone. He said, if you trust in me, if you lift me up, The Holy Spirit, as he lifts me up, he'll draw all men unto me, that a relationship with God comes through the Holy Spirit by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, I just want to be unmistakably clear for all of us in the room. It's not what you do that earns you a relationship with God. It's not about attending church. It's not about giving money towards really good activities, even tithing. That doesn't get you into a relationship with God. Those are the outflow of a relationship with God. A relationship with God is possible when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And there's a wonderful thing that takes place. The Holy Spirit makes that true in our hearts. We start to feel something. Somebody starts talking about Jesus, that he's the Lord, he's the true way, he's the one that forgives our sins, and the Holy Spirit starts to quicken our heart, our spirit, and we start going, what is it? Now, hundreds of you in the room, and hundreds of you are listening to me already, you know exactly what that experience is like. You couldn't put your finger on it, you couldn't describe it, you just knew that in your heart, Jesus is Lord, and you needed to trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins. So you didn't rely on anything else, you didn't rely on your parents, you didn't rely on your good works, you didn't rely on your religious upbringing. You proclaimed, the Bible says, you speak it out with your mouth, you believe it in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you come into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. What's happening in that moment? The Holy Spirit is making that truth real in your life, and when you confess that, Jesus enters your heart, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit enters into your life. Remarkable, remarkable truth that the Bible gives to us. But how many of us have actually trusted Jesus to be our Lord and Savior that way? How many of us have actually turned our faith and said, only... In Jesus, not in my religious upbringing, but only through Jesus and Jesus alone, there's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. So here's what I want to do this morning. To have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, it is crucial that we first profess our faith in Christ. Because anything we're going to talk about over the next two weeks isn't going to make any sense if we haven't paused for this moment right here Last week I told you, the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. He's a divine person. Here's the truth of it. He brings us into relationship with Jesus. And then Jesus gives us this wonderful relationship with the Holy Spirit. But that's possible when we say yes to Him. So around the church, we talk about saying yes to Jesus. That's when we profess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. And by doing that, we're saying, I know that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. And I know that through His death and resurrection, I have new life with God. Now often what we'll do, is well, somebody will play at the piano. There'll be a nice music in the room and everybody, and it, it can be an emotional decision. Nothing wrong with that. Or sometimes you'll see on TV, people will be at a crusade or a gathering. They'll be playing Just As I Am or some music, and people rush the stage, and there's, that's okay too. It's the work of the Spirit. But did you know the Holy Spirit can work right now while I'm talking in this room? That as we're having this conversation, some of you are going, and you know, I have never personally asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I've never repented of my sins and said, I I need to trust in the finished work of Christ. So I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to invite him to be Lord of your life. Because something incredible takes place. Not only does he bring you into relationship with the Father, but when you do that, you open your life up to a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. So can we stop for a moment right here? Let's pray together. Close your eyes just for a moment. Father, we stop in this service because all this information brings no change unless we allow your Spirit to bring us into a point of transformation. And so I pray because I know there are men and women and young people in this room right now. And if we're really, really honest with you, we've never personally trusted for Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Some of us, we've grown up in good homes. Mom and dad have talked to us about Jesus, and we're okay with coming to church with him, but we've never made that first decision for ourselves. Some of us have been brought up in great churches in parts of religious groups that the teachings and the experience, it's all been wonderful, but we've never allowed the truth to bring change to our own hearts, to make this personal. And so this morning, I just want to pray for those that want to say yes to you, to invite you, Jesus, to be Lord of their life. As your eyes are closed just for a moment of personal prayer, how many of you in the room and how many of you watching right now in the other venues and online, by raising your hand, would just quickly say, Doug, just pray for me real quick, would you? I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. And by raising your hand in this room, that's what you're going to do. And by doing that, I'm going to pray with you before we just move on in the service. So real quickly, all across the room, raise your hand if you'd like just for me to close and pray. Yes, thank you, thank you. By raising your hand this morning, thank you. You can take your hands down. You're just saying yes to Jesus. Great first step in this relationship. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. You can take your hand down. So Lord, I thank you for the hands that are going up because this is what your spirit does. It helps people find their way back to God. And by these raised hands, we just pause in this room to acknowledge and those in the other venues and those that are listening, and we just acknowledge that you, God, have always been in the business of bringing us back into relationship with you. And through Christ today, we honor the salvation that's taking place here. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I think we should give a big hand to everybody that raised a hand this morning. You know, sometimes, we, uh, sometimes we're moved, it's emotional, and we're almost in tears when people raise their hand. Well, I think there's other times that you just need to get up and shout and dance and go, yay God, for people who raise their hands. That's the wonder of the miracle of a relationship with the Father. So can you click a request and have God respond? Now you don't have to click. You can whisper it. And God will. We can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And those of you that raise your hand this morning, here's what I want you to do. And all of us in the church, listen to me carefully, because we still get questions about this. When you leave today, if you have said yes this morning or at some point over the past weeks and months, and you have never stopped at the yes station, that's that booth that's in the foyer. When you go through the back doors, you can't miss it. That station is designed for people to give you a packet of material. We want to help you with your next steps. A little book that you can read, some steps that you can take. Our goal is to help you understand the decision that you're making. So regardless of when you said yes to Jesus, if you haven't stopped there, please do that. We want to take you on those next parts of your journey. All right, back to your notes. One last verse. So back into the notes, when we look at what's taking place here, we realize that God has moved from selective and specific. Now it's inclusive and it's deeply personal. Peter would say that you're going to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a God's special possession. But Jesus would say these words. It's Acts 1.8. And he said, And you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now connect the dots. Jesus has already been in the presence of his followers. And he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. And then before he leaves, he goes, Listen, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he takes the Holy Spirit within, and he goes, And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon. And when those two things happen, well, the only way to describe it is what John says that you will do what Jesus did and even greater things than he did will be possible because of the Spirit. Friends, that's the kind of friend I want to hang out with, don't you? All right, let's pray together this morning. As we pray together, would you also join your hearts with me? We need the Spirit of God in our lives and we need the Spirit of God in our world. Just the news over this past weekend, what's taken place in Lebanon and over in Paris, it just shocks us. And we need God's Spirit minister to this world so would you join your hearts with me father this morning as we close out this message i would be remiss if we didn't pause for a moment just to say holy spirit would you come and bring the peace of god into paris into lebanon into the war-torn parts of our world where lives are being decimated and broken apart loved ones have been lost We pray, God, that you would empower your church to be conduits of hope and grace and life. Thank you that we have a personal relationship with you, that we don't have to go through life wondering, is God there, but rather we can have this intimate, dynamic relationship every day. So today, as a collective body, we lift our hearts and prayers before you, knowing that your heart is grieving over what's taken place. May your spirit of peace be upon our world, we pray, Father. And I ask it in Christ's name. And everyone said... Amen.